Leading up to uh, celebrating New Year's at midnight, I found myself sort of sucked into first a, a radio program. You know what, real quick, let me pray before I get into the, the message. God, again, we just come before you laying our requests at your feet, knowing that you are a God who hears and who listens and who is attentive to our needs and our heart's desires. You know the deepest thoughts of our hearts. Um, you know our needs. You know everything about us, God. So it's all laid bare before you anyway, but we come and we just ask that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Um, fill us with the truth of your word. Encourage us and inspire us to pursue you through the Bible. And God, I pray that 2014, again, as we explore your word for uh, traces of Jesus from cover to cover, God, I pray that we would see him everywhere that we look. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So leading up to celebrating New Year's, at first I was in the car, I'm driving, I turn on the radio, and I'm listening to this radio program that's sort of a reflection of 2013. And then I'm, uh, I'm at the house and I'm watching TV, and you know, if you were waiting for the ball to drop, maybe you watched a TV program similar where they just go back to kind of the highlights of 2013, those sorts of things. Um, and it's funny how... At the new year, we have this tendency to kind of look back at the events that have unfolded in the previous 12 months and try to make some sort of sense of them, right? Because a lot happens in 12 months. And maybe it's therapeutic, you know, to sort of just kind of detox after a year. Or maybe it's sort of our incessant search for answers. But this kind of reflection happens every year. Maybe you do it personally, or maybe you just watch as they do it on the TV. But there's some sort of reflection back at what has transpired before we think about what might come in the new year. And it's really hard to consider what the future might hold for us or for you if you have no understanding of where the past has brought you if you don't take some time to reflect and remember what the past means for the future. And I would say this is sort of the premise behind our series, Epic, right? We're going to look back at all of the significant moments in Scripture. I should say some of the significant moments in Scripture to get an understanding of what they mean for the future. Um, and, and while watching these TV shows, or this TV show, I found myself at one point thinking about the fact that 2014, wondering if quite possibly 2014 could be the last year where the ball drops. Or maybe 2013 is the last year where the ball drops. Maybe 2014 has no ball dropping at the end of the year. Which is a pretty mind-boggling thought, isn't it? Is this the year where Jesus comes, returns to his people to usher in eternity, and there are no more calendar years in store for humanity. And I was sitting on the couch, I was, I was watching the minutes kind of tick down, and I had this ecstatic hope that this would actually be the year where Jesus returns. Where he would bring the final and full revelation of his eternal kingdom to come here to us on earth. And it may or may not be this year, okay? I hope for that, honestly, every year. But regardless, Jesus is coming. It's quite possible it could be in your lifetime. It may be in the lifetime of your children or your great-grandchildren, but it is going to happen. And the pages of Scripture testified accurately to his coming once in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, 
to the city of David. And those same pages of scripture testify just as accurately that Jesus is coming again. His triumphant return at some point in the coming days will happen. Okay, so before we look to the future in anticipation of his return, it makes sense for us to look back, again, through the pages of Scripture, back into history, to explore and study what the Bible has to say about how the Word of God points to Jesus. Because that is the point. He is the point. He is the Word of God. He is the culmination of all things. And when he returns, he will usher into eternity. It is him that we wait for. And I remember hearing as a kid, somebody said to me the acronym, maybe for this B-I-B-L-E, stands for basic instruction before leaving earth. Clever, okay, there's some truth to that. But the Bible is way more than just an instruction booklet for those who love Jesus, okay? If it was only an instruction booklet for those who love Jesus, we could probably tear out about two-thirds of it, right? We could just rip out those genealogy pages, they're sort of hard and confusing to read anyway. We could rip out the numbers, the book of numbers, maybe even Deuteronomy. We could just tear those things out if it was merely an instruction booklet. So while the Bible is filled with incredible wisdom about how to live your life, it is not first and foremost an instruction booklet. Okay? The Bible is first and foremost a book that testifies about Jesus. And that's why we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. I had a, a, a teacher in college who refused to allow us to call it the Old Testament. It's the First Testament and the New Testament, okay? The Old Testament testifies. It gives an account of Jesus. And likewise, the New Testament is the eyewitness account of Jesus. It tells the story of Jesus. And all of the pages of Scripture... All of its themes, all of its stories, all of its ideas, its characters, all of its recorded moments in history proclaim God's plan of salvation through Christ. That is the message. That's the unifying idea of all of those pages. And I've talked with people before, maybe you feel the same way, who, who tell me that they just can't really make sense of most of the Bible because it seems disconnected. They don't really get how it fits together. It's so varied in its genres and writing styles. It's so discordant in its characters and ideas. Okay, but no, no. When you look at all of Scripture as the testament of Jesus, the proclamation of the Son of God, the book that tells about his coming, his character, his glory, his magnitude, and his salvation, then suddenly it all begins to make sense. All of the little stories and ideas begin to look like pieces that all fit together in a much larger picture, revealing the image of Jesus. And that is what it's all about. And this is why the Bible is transformational, guys. Why it's not just a book. Why you can read so many other books and they do nothing for you, nothing to you. But when you read the Bible, it changes you. Because as we read the pages of Scripture, what we see is the face of Christ scattered throughout. And as we look upon his face, he changes us into his likeness. He opens our eyes. He opens our hearts to his presence. Like Moses who stood in the tent before God. And when he left the tent, his face was shining. He was transformed. 
that same kind of transformation happens when we look at Christ in the pages of Scripture. Okay? Which brings us to our passage of Scripture for this morning. Read with me Luke 24, verses 13 through 32. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them said, named Cleopas, or then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Isn't this a very cool story? Here we've got two of Jesus' disciples, and they're on this road trip the very same day that Jesus rises from the dead. And we can just imagine from the, the, the story bits and pieces of their conversation before Jesus enters into it. You know, the wrestling with the grief and the confusion, the uncertainty, maybe even a little bit of a hidden excitement at this new piece of information that the tomb was empty. You know, this strange idea that maybe something more is going on now that the body is missing. And they're, tra they're chatting and they're trying to make sense of the last 72 hours when suddenly Jesus is there with them. And although his identity is veiled, they don't know it's him, he spends time walking and talking with them. He jumps into the conversation and he asks them for a recap. And after the recap at the end, he's, I, I imagine him sort of chuckling, you know, oh man, oh, you foolish ones. And he goes on to sort of scold them, slow of heart, or slow uh, of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Which is a really great way to jump into a conversation and make some new friends, isn't it? <laughs> to just start off with, with the scolding. But Luke tells us, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, so here it is. This amazing reality that all of the scriptures 
point to Jesus and reveal him. Beginning with Moses, in case you didn't know, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. He actually wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call those the Pentateuch. So with the very beginning, Genesis, the very beginning of time, the very first page, all the way through to the final prophets, Zechariah and Malachi, and into the New Testament then, which wasn't in existence at this point in time, but we know today contains the truth of the message of Christ, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, through to the revelation of John, who uh, prophesied about Jesus returning on the island of Patmos when he was in exile. Okay, all of the pages of this book show us Jesus. But why? Why go to such great lengths to reveal Jesus? Why have such a massive and intricate book with so many pages and words just to tell the story of one simple man from Israel? And we've got our answer in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, if you want to turn there with me. The author of Hebrews writes, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Stop there for just a second, okay? So we see the author of Hebrews echo the very same words of Jesus himself. In the past, God used the prophets of the Old Testament to speak to his people, and what was the central theme of their message? Jesus is coming, okay? But in these last days, these days that you and I live in, we are in the last days now. God has spoken directly to us, not through prophets, but through his own flesh and blood, Jesus. Okay, God sent not a messenger to proclaim his word, but God came himself. Jesus, who was there in the beginning, through whom the world was created, came as the full revelation of God himself to speak to us all the things that God wanted us to know about himself. If you've ever wondered why we don't have prophets today and why the Bible hasn't changed in almost 2,000 years, this is the reason right here. Okay? Jesus has come, and since he's revealed the Father to us, there's really nothing more to say. Now, there's still a spiritual gift of prophecy, but we don't have prophets like Isaiah and Elisha walking around today because Jesus said it all. Jesus has come, and since he's revealed the Father to us, there's nothing more to say in a grand prophetic sense, okay? There's nothing more about Jesus that we need to know than what's revealed in the pages of this book. I heard the History Channel is going to be uh, rolling out maybe a show in the next year or two called The Lost Years of Jesus that's supposed to explain what happens between like the birth of Jesus and when he begins his ministry. We don't know. We don't need to know, okay? If you watch that show, understand it's fiction. What we have in these pages about Jesus is enough, okay? Jesus has been revealed. God has been revealed through him. All that needs to be said has been said. And now you and I wait in these last days for God to do what he has said he will do. So if anyone adds to these pages or tells you something contradictory to the words contained in these pages, they're lying. It's their intention to deceive you. And so do not stray from the words of this book. Do not stray from the gospel that's been given to us in the pages of the Bible. 
laid out in the person of Jesus Christ, okay? Read on with me as we, uh, you know, get a further answer to our question about why it's so important that this book reveals Jesus. The author of Hebrews goes on and says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Spend an afternoon contemplating just that sentence, and you may have your mind blown in incredible ways. Stop here for a second. For as long as man has recorded history, and probably even before we knew how to record it, we have pondered this question, is there a God? And if so, what is that God potentially like? And so long have we wrestled with this question, and so frustrating is it to try and find an answer, that many people today, they've just given up entirely. They don't even care anymore. They don't even consider the question any longer. They've more or less stopped asking, because it seems that there is no answer to that question. We call them agnostics, or maybe even atheists. Why ask a question that seems to have no answer? But Hebrews tells us the answer to the question is through Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Have you ever sat and wondered what God is like? Here is your answer. Jesus himself is God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus keeps the universe in existence merely by thinking it into being. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And this is why the Bible points to him at every single page, every theme and every idea, because Jesus is God. And if we want to know what God is like, we just need to know Jesus. If we want to be close to God, we just have to be close to Jesus. To satisfy this human craving for knowledge about God, God reveals himself through the pages of the Bible in the person of Christ. Okay, In terms that are actually comprehensible to our finite minds, understandable to our puny, ignorant, arrogant minds, God reveals himself in a way that we can understand through Jesus. So essentially the message is this. For those of you who are searching and curious, look no further. This book tells the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the exact imprint of God. In him are all of your questions answered. In him are all of your desires satisfied. In him are all mysteries revealed. Maybe not fully now, but eventually, yes. And how does this come, come to be? How? It's through the meditation of the word of God, okay? There's not some secret spell that we cast while we hold this book up, okay? There's no secret liturgy that you recite that gets it done for you. It's through the meditation of the word of God that the Bible makes Jesus known to us, okay? This is why pastors of churches and I as a pastor of this church challenge you to read your Bible. This is why we harp on spending time in the Word of God. Because that's how you know Jesus. So you can know Him. So you can be transformed. So you can feel joy. So you can have that satisfaction that you're looking for. The Bible reveals Him, and that's why we read it.
okay? But even that, as amazing as these things are, even that is not the totality of the message of God given to us in Jesus, okay? There's more to why these pages reveal Jesus. Real quick, some of you are thinking, next week I'm definitely bringing my own chair, aren't you? (laughs) Just a couple more minutes. Read on with me. Hebrews says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. I love that verse. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, this is the purpose of Jesus. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus. The purpose of Jesus is to glorify God through the purification of sins. And from there, Jesus takes his seat next to God. After purifying our sins on the cross, through his death and resurrection, he takes his seat next to God, the majestic one where for all eternity, Jesus Christ will receive glory and honor and praise for being holy, 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 and accomplishing for humanity in our salvation and redemption what we had no hope to ever accomplish for ourselves, what was impossible for us. And the purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus. The purpose of Jesus is our redemption for his glorification. Unless we make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is just some really cool spiritual dude, which a lot of people think these days, okay, the Bible makes it very clear. The author of Hebrews makes sure that our understanding is accurate by saying he is more than just a spiritual being like the angels around him who bow down to worship him. Jesus has received the name of majesty, just like his father. His superior to or his superiority to angels is the same superiority that God has over angels who are merely spiritual beings. So in other words, Jesus is not just a man or a spiritual being. He is the God-man, equal to God himself, even though he wore the flesh of humanity. So praise God for Jesus, right? Praise God for Jesus, who came to purify our sins to reveal God the Father to us. Without him, we would be so lost. We would be so lost, still stuck with this crushing burden of our sins, unforgiven and always unshakably defiling us, out of our control to be rid of. And we would be lost to mere speculation about who God might be the unknowable God, what might he be like? Apart from Christ, we would be lost in our understanding. We would be stuck guessing and philosophizing about the actions and intentions, the motives and disposition of God. But through Jesus, both of those conundrums are satisfied, right? We have freedom from sin through the purification of our sins in Christ. And we know God because those who have seen his son Jesus have seen God the Father. Guys, and this is why I'm so excited for this series. Because Jesus is everything. And those who know him 
like you and me, those who are hungry for him, as we search the pages of scripture, we are going to find him in greater detail, in greater amounts, in ever-increasing amounts of satisfaction. The Bible reveals him. So as we spend a full year, close to 45 hours together, depending on how long I preach, in the next 12 months, searching these pages to know him and love him more, we're going to find Christ. Now with this series, there are two major questions that I want us to ask each week, okay? Let me conclude with this. Two questions that I hope to weave into every single message over the next 52 weeks, which sounds like a really long time, but 45 hours, that's nothing. You, you probably commute to work that much in a week or in a month, a week. That would be a rough commute. The first question is this. What do we learn about Jesus from our passage of Scripture? And the second question is, what is there for us to apply to our lives from our passage of Scripture? So today, I just want to very simply answer those questions as I close. First, what do we learn about Jesus from our passage of Scripture? That all of Scripture reveals Jesus. And that in revealing Jesus, Scripture reveals to us God himself. Jesus is God, and the Bible makes him known to those of us who are hungry and curious to know what God is like. And his role, the role of Christ in the epic story of God is the propitiation of our sins. Okay, big word, but it just means the payment, the satisfaction, the purification of our sins. And finally, I would say our passage reveals that in the end of this epic story, when we stand before God the Father in eternity, seated there at the right hand of majesty will be Jesus himself, equal to God in every measure and one with God in every measure, deserving of all of the honor and glory and praise of God himself. And that's a day that I cannot wait for. And what's our application then? A simple challenge, a simple challenge for you guys to come and be a part of this series. Okay, 45 minutes sitting in a chair suffering because your bottom hurts on a Sunday morning, I promise you will have great rewards as you come to know Jesus in deeper levels, as we explore scripture and see every hint and trace and revelation of Christ in the pages of this wonderful book. And I think in truth, my favorite part of our scripture passage from Luke this morning is this very short exchange between the two men after their eyes have been opened to the truth of the identity of Christ. Verse 32 of Luke 24 says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? that's my prayer for you guys. Not, not that the next year will be an academic, heavy reading, joyless trudge through the pages of the Bible, but that as you join me in inviting the Holy Spirit to open the truth of the scriptures to you and reveal Christ to you in the pages of this book, that our hearts will burn within us with joy and excitement to see Jesus revealed. And it's his glory that's going to be revealed. And it's his profundity of the purification of our sins. As the prophets display the presence of Christ in history, 
you know, as we know and love Jesus more through the words of God in the Bible, you know, my prayer is that our hearts would catch fire, that they would smolder with a love for Christ in the majesty and the radiance of the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. Let me pray. God, what a glorious work of literature you have handed off to us. That in the complexity of this work, in its various languages and authors and writing styles, in its various themes and stories and characters, in all of it, Christ is revealed. We praise you. Only you could create something this marvelous and this beautiful. And I pray, Jesus, as we go through the Bible in the next year, that our hearts would be enamored with the truth of Scripture, that we would truly see the face of Christ in all of these pages. And as we look upon his face, God, I ask that our faces would reflect and shine with the glory of God. And people we know would ask us, what's going on with you? What is it with you? And we would be able to respond, Father, I pray. With just a simple response, I, I know Jesus. God, would you reveal him to us this year as we open up your word? And it's in your name that I ask these things. Amen.